And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Also, check out the Athletic Baseball Show. Every single show is a great listen, and that's where you'll find us every Tuesday. So allow me to introduce myself. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic, and I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. And Doug, I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend, and I'd ask you how it went, except we recorded this before <laughs> the weekend was over. So, Doug, how do you think it went? Well, um, I think I'm going to eat fairly well and be, be thankful for that. And I think it may <laughs> rain somewhere in there, but maybe not. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it did rain, okay? Uh, you didn't go to the beach because it rained, um, but a great time was had by all. All right, we have a really special show today, my friend, because somehow or other, it's June, and that means two months of the baseball season has roared by. Uh, we've got a special roundtable consisting of you, Ken Rosenthal, Brittany Giroli, and also, I'll show up, to take a look at the state of our sport right now. And I know it's going to be great. But, Doug, you know what else was great? What Javi Baez did last Thursday in that Cubs-Pirates game, that was great. It was actually, I think it was epic. It, I'm going to say, Doug, that was the funniest <laughs> baseball play I've ever seen. And so before we listen to it, here's my first question to you. Where does that rank on your own personal list of funniest plays ever? Oof. I mean, it's it's if it's not number one, it's like one A maybe or something. I you know it's like I mean, what would I don't, be number I don't one? Know. That's not number I just one. have to. I mean, I know I was involved in plays where I slid and got <laughs> stuck in the fence, and but when you think about a play in totality, yeah, I, it, it's hard to beat that because you 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 can't describe it. I was emailing a friend who I uh, play Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> with our kids and he plays Stratomatic and we were talking and um, he said, I would love to talk about the Javi Bias play, but I just do not have the words. So what I concluded was <laughs> American English does not suffice. 
Uh, the only language that would explain what happened, you have to go back to sort of like Sanskrit or written. You have to go back in, in language that didn't is not no longer in existence. Otherwise, you you cannot describe it properly. So, uh, unless right. of course it could be alien too. I don't know, but one or the other. <laughs> because right, because that's because a thing happened that yeah. it can't possibly happen, but somehow that thing happened, um, and um, like the, just the absurdity of it kept building. Just when you thought, well, it can't get any more insane oh, yeah. than this. Yeah, it could. So let let let's hear it. All right, let's hear it. The most entertaining forty <laughs> seconds in baseball history. Baez hits it on the ground to third. Gonzalez. This is so good. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow! You've got to be kidding me! You've got to be they kidding me! They stole a run. You have got to be kidding me, Javi Baez. Keep going. Go. Go. Think you're invisible. El Mago indeed. That is unbelievable. That is incredible. Oh, my God. What the heck just happened? Doug, come on, man. Like, forget this Sanskrit stuff. Well, what happened? I mean, it, what it, happened it's such there? a joy to hear, first of all, John Shambi and Jim Deshays, like, <laughs> break it down. I mean... Because I'm not sure. I think most announcers <laughs> could not explain it. They they just didn't know what was happening. And here we are uh, many, many days later, and I'm still not sure what happened. But it it is fitting that his name is El Mago, the magician, because it had to involve something, yes. some sort of combination of David Copperfield and Star Trek mixed with, like, some sort of concussion. <laughs> you know, I, I don't really know. But... Yes, it just cannot be explained in simple terms. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the David David Copperfield touch would be that he started moving other pieces around on the field, and the like. The Star Trek <laughs> touch would be he he was at home. He beamed himself almost to first. Then he beamed himself back home. Then he beamed himself to first. Then he was at second. Then he scored. Yeah, I, and I have he, this right? well, don't forget, he made the safe call. All right, he he helped make the call at home. He, so he was oh, an yeah. umpire for a minute. So that's yes. some sort of like transfiguration, Harry Potter kind of thing. He said, "All right, I'm an umpire." <laughs> and it was, at one point, there's a shot of like the catcher. I think it was Contreras, right? Contreras scoring. Javi Baez, the first baseman. The like they're all in one shot, right on the home plate dirt. Like there's like spectators. I'm, I'm looking for ice cream, hot dog stands. You know, I'm waiting for Bias <laughs> to take a chill and a sip out of a lemonade. I mean, he just like cut all the time. Yeah. I was like, at, at no point was he thinking, wait a minute, I, I should actually go to first base. I, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine like what he was thinking. But <laughs> then he said, you know what? It's time for me to go to first base. So then he took off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, all right, I have some thoughts. Um, all right. One is like he gave the <laughs> safe call in the middle of the play. He wasn't even safe yet. If I have this right. Didn't he still have to get to first base or everything else we just seen? Well, he was calling the play at the plate, and so that's why I think he was like a challenge umpire. Right. He was like he was like in New but, York, and he, yeah. he said Javi Baez is now the challenge umpire, and we're going to defer to him. So he made the call and overturned whatever was happening, and then he realized that he was actually a runner uh, in his own one one act drama and decided to take off. Yeah. Yes. Oh, good. Good idea. Okay. So. If I timed this right, his his 
quote unquote sprint time <laughs> home to first was 34 seconds there. <laughs> so like I, I don't have access to the Statcast data in front of me, but isn't that going to yeah, hurt his average sprint do a speed? Lot of damage on that. I think you get like a mulligan, or you know, you it get is. to throw out like one sprint time apparently, because uh, that sprint is you know it's like more of like a horse and carriage time or some sort of you know little house on the prairie kind of time zone. I I mean I just it was amazing to me that in the mid play he's he's standing there as if he's the on deck hitter observing the play at the plate. I mean, that's what I thought. I'm like, oh, he's on deck. And I said, wait a minute, he's actually in play. He's the base runner. He is involved here. He hit the ball. Did he hit the yeah. ball? He hit the ball to third, and he's still standing at home. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you. And so I wonder if, like, do the Pirates hit him in the back for that? Because if he had a home run and did that, you'd get retaliated against. So, because he's still at home plate. Like, why are you still home? You know, Bull Durham, what he said, run, dummy, run, dummy. I give you a gift, and this is how you repay me, or whatever he said. Right? <laughs> the Pirates hit, they, they, apparently, they didn't think they hit him in the back because the game wasn't over. You remember that, right? Uh, all right, here's like here's another thought I had as I as I said on MLB Network on Friday. I thought only Superman could make the <laughs> Earth spin backwards, but I, I I'm thinking Javi must be Superman because like have you ever seen the replays where right, they they run the replay and then they run it backwards? <laughs> right. like, that's what that looked like. <laughs> like one of those replays where they <laughs> right. run the tape in reverse, yeah, didn't it? I mean, well, you know, all right, you talk about statistical disasters you already mentioned one of the sprint time that he just blew out of the water but i think you we've made the case on twitter that he stole first base i mean we we've made the i think people have settled on that that he actually stole first base uh he took it you know dave martinez ripped it out of the ground and kicked it <laughs> yeah Baez just played like he was invisible became an umpire for a couple of seconds then decided to run and and just took it right from out from under them and i'm trying to think the, the first base was was what it was um Craig, yes. It was Will so, Craig. So, you know, not sure. I'm trying to embody, like, what was he actually thinking? Have we interviewed him yet? Because I haven't heard anything. And I'm trying to... He no, was he not was made not available. made available. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. uh, he was oh, not man. made of because he was kind of part of the, the David Copperfield sawing a man in half kind of thing. And uh, didn't want to reveal the secrets yeah. to his, his, his magic show. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I'll tell you what. What was so educational about it, because there was a couple of things I learned. You realize that at any given time, Craig could have stepped on first base and it would have negated the run, right? So this is what I'm understanding, right? Any time. Any time. So imagine at any time, even after the right, guy so was safe he at the have plate, been safe at the plate, <laughs> sat in the dugout, ate a hot dog, sunflower seeds, had a drink, sat there, celebrated, and then Craig could have walked to first, stepped on home, and that run would not have counted. Yeah, so I mean that, exactly that was kind right. of fascinating because you yeah, you always think of it like oh you beat the runner before he scored, and you kind of forget like once you would record the force, that's it. Now one question that was came up in Twitter is now what if Craig went to tag him? Does that change the equation of whether the run counts or not? So that's no, no, it's not that, like it's not first it's own base. There's none of this tag right. play, force play stuff. Always a it's force. Always a force play. Fascinating. Okay. Right. So you, he has to cross <laughs> first for any of the other stuff that happened in that play to count. So all right, this is uh, this brings me to the one semi-serious <laughs> point that I would like to make. I'm a huge fan of players who have the ability to be creative on the field 
in the moment, and Javi is one of those players. He might be captain of that team, for that matter, but he just does stuff. And because he does this nutty, creative stuff, it causes everyone around him to start doing more nutty stuff. And somehow, like, everybody on the field gets hypnotized (laughs) by him and the stuff he is doing. Now, you played baseball. I want you to explain to me how that is, why certain great players, and not just in your sport, in every sport, have the ability to do that. You know, I would say, I mean, Baez just has that thing. And I'm not sure what you could make it measurable. It's sort of a, you know, it's like an anti-analytics sort of thing. He has a certain instinct for the timing of, of base running. And it's it seems like it's like inherent. Like he just understands, you know, how how to go from A to B in a way that is deceptive. It's timely. He understands how to sort of turn a play on, on its own head. And I don't think there's anything you could really teach about that. I mean, I understand that people have certain instincts for running bases and there's fundamentals. You, you know, you read the ball, you look at the trajectory, you know where the fielders are, you check all these boxes on the scoreboard to know the situational aspects of when to run. But then there's that other thing where you just have a sense of it. And he, he absolutely has it. I've seen this for years now, especially doing a lot of Cubs games. And, and this is not like a fluke or he got lucky. He understands that there's a, a there's an attraction to uh, all eyes on him from a fan standpoint, but also defenders pay attention to what he's doing. He creates a certain kind of pressure when he runs because, first of all, he's so elusive. The ball could beat him. He could avoid, avoid tags. And sure, in this case, it was a complete breakdown by Craig. But what got him so mesmerized by Javi Baez to kind of forget the, the laws of baseball you learn when you're like six or something, right? He just, he didn't even think about first base. He, he completely was distracted <laughs> by Javi Baez. And I mean, and that, I don't think that's an accident. I think it's, you know, you always have to, you no, have to keep your eyes I mean. on him because he will steal first base out from under you. I mean, that's how he is as a, as a base runner. So as a defender, you're always paying attention to guys like that. If you have speed or whatever it is, but he has that extra something. And, um, you know, I think of guys like Scott Rowland, you know, he ran like with reckless abandon, hair on fire. And sometimes we wonder if it was just like luck or this guy just kind of figured out. And then over time he kept making it, he just kept making it. And he put a certain kind of pressure on defense. Uh, and that's what's sort of understated about, you know, balls in play. We talk about that. Put the ball in play and things just can happen. And, and there's a certain pressure <laughs> that certain uh, base runners can can put on you. So Baez is the ultimate example of that. He is. And, it's, you know, it's really all sports. Um, you know, we spent all that time watching and talking about the last dance yeah. last year. Jordan right. had it. I mean, you saw it over and over and over again in that in the footage and just the way he talked. You knew he had it. He knew what was going to happen before it happened. Okay, but I'm so fascinated by this phenomenon of making other people crazy. That was the David Ross way he described it. It's so true. Like, I was thinking, all right, suppose you were driving on a highway and now up ahead, a car started going in reverse. Wouldn't that make you crazy? Like, you would know how to react. And it, it, it just felt like that's what happened here. Uh, but I don't know. Whatever happened, I could watch that play like a thousand times. And it's a good thing 
because we're going to be watching it for the rest of our lives. It, like This is literally going to be like the home run that bounced off yes. Jose Canseco's head. It will live forever. Yeah, I, I played it. I played it for my whole family. <laughs> and uh, it is now in the Glanville family archives as must-see TV. <laughs> yep. And everybody else's too. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Doug, let's welcome in two of our favorite teammates at The Athletic so we can make some sense of what we've seen in this season. So far, it's Ken Rosenthal and Brittany Giroli. So great to have the two of you back here in the town square in Starkville. It's been too long. We are glad to be here. Are, am I right, Britt? We're glad to be in Starkville. Happy. Thrilled, thrilled to be here with the two of you. <laughs> yeah. I can tell just how thrilled they are, Doug. Well, They're just look, over the moon. Just so you know, Doug and I cannot figure out the state of the game ourselves. We're hoping you have all the answers. That won't be a problem, that right? That would take a few more hundred people. <laughs> and I don't know that we know that they exist on this earth even to figure out what's wrong with the game yeah. right now. Right. Well, Theo wasn't available, so <laughs> we're stuck with each other. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, let's start with this, okay? There's now a no-hitter in the big leagues about every 15 minutes. So on one hand, that has kept my weird and wild column in business. But on the other hand, what the hell is happening? <laughs> okay, Now, I think we should look at this this way. Um, I think the no-hitters, they're telling us something about the game. But what? That's our job. Now, Clayton Kershaw had this theory a week or so ago that this is because of what they did with the baseball. But it seems to me that the problem isn't the baseball. It's that nobody can hit the baseball. <laughs> so what does everyone else think? Uh, Ken, why don't we start with you? There is some talk that the baseball is increasing movement, that because it's lighter, pitchers are able to get more movement. Some of our analytical friends are studying this right now. Okay, that's one right. factor. Another factor, the hitters all or nothing swings. Another factor, the pitchers throwing as hard as they possibly can on every pitch and trying to get as much break as they can on every pitch. And while we can go on and on, I would suggest another factor is the one that Britt and I wrote about last week or a couple of weeks ago now it, regarding the sticky substances that the Pitchers are using illegal substances, loading up the balls with them, and it is increasing their movement and helping with spin rate and basically creating havoc illegally. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we should do a deep dive just on that story and that issue. But, yeah, like you just do a lot of stuff out there. Um, 
And again, my theory is this is the this is about the strikeout rate. This is the the whole point. Um, the whole sport has basically turned into Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan's career strikeout rate was twenty five percent. The average pitcher in the sport now is over twenty four percent. Okay, so I, I think that it starts with that. Um, Doug, what's your theory? No, I think Ken hit so many of the elements, and I always go back to thinking of the playing days and watching generations come and go through the game, and there's always a cultural shift behind it. There's always some new point of emphasis, whether stolen bases or power games. Of course, I was in the middle of PEDs, and I I feel like a lot of those moments and those generational shifts have like a tail behind them that eventually become something you can that's measurable uh, that teams were doing to be successful and then it's replicated over and over again and I and now the teams are emphasizing or hitters are emphasizing the fact that it is more important to try to hit the home runs play the power games you're not really going to beat the shift consistently getting more singles doesn't help your career longevity or your arbitration numbers there's a practical aspect to that uh, and and when you're not worried about people who steal bases or the small game as much, certainly the rewards don't match it, then you are going to get these points of emphasis where it's about power and, and, and the risk of taking strikeouts are kind of out of it. It's like, okay, whatever. And so you have pitchers that are specialized to pitch against just you. Like we talked about this, Jay, there, there would have been five or six pitchers on every staff that could get me out specifically. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there, if I, if I saw like I, a nightmare was facing, you know, Derek Lowe or any of these Brandon Webb, they would have had a bunch of sinker ballers and I would hit it off my shin at best or struck out at worst. And they they know how to do that. And I, it's a lot harder for a hitter to catch up to people that can go out after your weakness consistently. And if he can't, they bring in the next guy. So um, I, I think all of it leads to this feeling of futility and saying, well, all right, I'm just going to swing for the fences. And when you're so risk averse and you don't take the chances that could create some of these other ways to play, making contact, hitting runs, moving runners, more than once they'll, they'll default to the reward. And the reward right now is power. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you, that, that's my point, Doug, is like Doug Glanville was a guy, he got 200 hits in a season. He hit 300. And now there'd be a whole staff full of pitchers who could get him out this is what hitters are up against I don't think it's their fault Britt what do you think no I don't I think a lot of this comes down to in my opinion um enforcing rules Ken talked about the the sticky stuff the pine tar um that's a rule that's not enforced and that's something that's creating the kind of movement and the kind of break that you just don't get with a new ball um I spoke to guys who are rehabbing so They are throwing right now with the new ball and they are not using any kind of sticky substance and there's no marked difference in their spin rate. So that kind of, you know, isolated case maybe, but it tells you that these four or 500 RPM jumps we're seeing are just not natural. Um, They are man made with other substances. And that's something that could be, in my opinion, enforced. Another rule that could be enforced that was never really given a chance is the pitch clock, right? And Ken mentioned these guys throwing as hard as they can uh, for every pitch, and they are. And the reason they're doing that now is because they have so much time between pitches 
that they can do that. They can empty the tank. Um, I talk about this a lot. I'm a, I'm a power lifter and I'm not going to do a max squat and then five seconds later do that same weight. I need a minute to recover. Your body needs to recover. So if you watch the way people used to pitch, uh, guys like Justin Verlander, I remember watching one of his outings in the seventh inning. All of a sudden he was hitting 100. He started the game at 95. We don't see that anymore because guys are taught throw as hard as you can for four or five innings, and then we'll bring in somebody else after you. Um, And I think that if you do something as simple as alter the time between pitches, actually change the pitch clock, actually enforce that rule that they spent a lot of time working on, it has a a trickle-down effect. It doesn't fix everything, but I think you do see velocity creep down because guys simply can't throw 100 with no recovery time in between. It does speed up the game. So it does add, it does give the hitters a chance to maybe put the ball in play more, maybe not swing and miss as much. I think a lot of this comes down to not only just creating new rules, but enforcing the rules and saying, we're going to see this through. And that's not something we've really seen too much from the current regime. Yeah, those are great points. So, all right, let's use that as a jumping off point to talk about the amazing piece that you and Ken wrote in The Athletic a week or so ago. Um, Whatever pitchers are slathering on the baseballs these days, it's working. (laughs) You had an amazing tidbit in that piece about spin rate. 2015, StatCast recorded only 18% of all fastballs with a spin rate of 2,400 or better. And now it's 35%. It's doubled. Uh, I thought I would take a look at Trevor Bauer, since he's been leading the whole sport in spin rate over the last two seasons. Listen to this. This is his average spin rate over the last four years. It's gone from 23.22 RPM to 24.10 to 27.79 last year to 28.44 this year. And 28.44 RPM, that is a mind-blowing number. That's 200 RPM higher than anybody was throwing a baseball two years ago, which means probably ever. Okay, it's 300 RPM higher than Garrett Cole. It's 500 RPM higher than Trevor Bauer himself was throwing his fastball three years ago. So, like, so that's the data. Tell me what you guys learned. Uh, Britt, let's start with you. Um, well, I guess I learned that there's no, like I said, there's no natural way to increase that spin rate. So without saying guys are cheating, guys are cheating, right? They are doing <laughs> something. Um, whether you want to accuse them or not, it's really easy to look at. And Eno Saris, our very smart colleague, put that chart together that you see in that story. And he said, you look at, spin rate and you look at velocity going up on these guys and it's it's impossible it's taking a guy who throws 91 92 and all of a sudden he throws 101 Um, and this is guys who are not 21 22 years old where they're adding muscle they're adding weight they're filling out their frame right Uh, we're talking about guys who are in their 30s having the best years of their career that doesn't happen in this sport as it's set up right now. You don't get to be 35, 36 years old, Max Scherzer, uh, and have the, the best strikeout rate of your career, right? Something is going on, and they are all doing it, or almost all of them are doing it to get an edge because that's what pro sports is. It's finding an edge. Uh, what I didn't realize 
uh, until we did this story was it's not just the, the pine tar or the rosin. It is sophisticated substances. It is teams analytics departments saying, Hey, you can increase your spin rate this much by doing this. Um, it is very much a sophisticated thing. It's not the, Oh, you know, 1970s, 1980s slap pine tar all over your hand for grip. So you don't hit guys. This is very specific <laughs> Uh, very targeted, and like Doug said, it, it's the everything is measured, everything is studied, I- including what you're putting on your hands and what, how many times you're going to your belt, and maybe there's a different substance on your hat because you throw a pitch that's a little bit straighter. Um, it is very, very scientific. Yeah, Ken, what what did you learn as you were reporting this piece? I don't know that I learned much new about what is going on because I've reported on this and we've talked about it for a long time. Others have written more extensively about it in the past. But the meaning of the story to me, and Britt and I talked about this quite a bit, was getting players on and off the record to finally say, okay, this is happening and it's bothering me. And it wasn't just players. There was a coach, Frank Manichino. There was Jim Palmer, the Hall of Fame pitcher, who was now an Orioles broadcaster. All of these people were saying and speaking out about this particular topic. And when you have this kind of discussion around a controversial area such as this, actually, I don't think it's that controversial. But when you have that, then eventually, it would be my hope that we would reach a tipping point and that what Britt is talking about, enforcing the rules, would actually start to happen. Now, that memo that was sent out March 23rd to the 30 teams warning them or informing them that there would be more extensive monitoring and inspection of baseballs this year, that spin rates would be checked, that baseball was serious about this, and that penalties were possible. I took that letter at face value, but until there are penalties, until someone actually gets punished for this, I stand skeptical about how serious baseball is about this. So uh, you, you guys implied in this story that you don't think there's going to be any actual enforcement this year. Is that right? I don't know that that's the case, but what we were told basically from baseball is, well, it's still early. We can't yet. It's only the quarter of the season and we're still collecting data. Okay. I'll accept that. But at what point is it not too early? You mean to tell me that they don't have enough data on certain pitches, enough baseballs on certain pitches to suspend them right now? I believe they do. And I believe that they do not want to necessarily start trouble with the union when we are beginning to engage in collective bargaining negotiations with the two sides. So it's a complicated situation in that regard. But again, put up or shut up. It's time. And it's been going on for too long. In fact, we referenced this in the story. Bauer talked about this in the exact way the players talked in our story about it in 2018, three years ago. He said there's a competitive advantage being derived. He compared it to the steroid era when some players have to keep up. And he didn't really go into that much detail. But this was all said. And yet, here we are still talking about the same issue, and it's worse than it was in 2018. Yeah. Hey, Doug, what do you see? Now, look, even when you played, pitches were going to their cap, going to their sleeve, (laughs) going to their belt, going to their glove. But it wasn't anything like what you're seeing now, right? 
Well, yeah, I remember the uh, interesting suntan oil quotes, air quotes yeah. that were you know slathered on the arm. That was always interesting. Well, I guess I could think about why why is this so disruptive to a hitter? Well, it's a couple things, and and this is where pitching is has this huge advantage. You know, hitters rely on the familiarity and the recognition of patterns. And what you're equivalent to having is like going up as a court, a rookie quarterback and they're throwing like 35 different defenses at you. They're constantly changing. Somebody's shifting. The pitcher, no two pitchers are alike. They're throwing pitches that move. You know, you just have a lot going on. And there's only so much you can do as a hitter to be deceptive to the pitcher. Like, you you know, it's just you're going to fake a bunt or something. There's really a limit. And there's so much more happening on the pitching side. So think about what was an advantage when I played? Okay, I would see the starter and I'd see him the third time around or the fourth time around. And that was, you know, so I had a familiar pattern and then multiply that by, you know, 15 games a year or 12, whatever it is, you see the same group and you develop a certain strategy against it that you can rely on. You have none of that now, none of that at all. I mean, you, the, the changes are constant and take spin rate. Well, what does it really do to a hitter? Well, when you're playing, over a certain period of time, you have a predictability of how a ball will move, right? You're swinging where you think the ball will go, right? You're not really necessarily seeing it and hitting it. So spin rate creates this optical illusion or deception on where you think the ball may end up. You know, you you build that into your psyche when you see Greg Maddox a million times, who always had really strange spins, right? So this is totally taken away from the hitters because like you said look at bauer like how do you how do you hit against a bauer when every year he's a he's effectively a different <laughs> pitcher he's a completely different pitcher so you can't do the same things and the ball that you said okay it's going to drop here i'm going to start my swing now that ball is 2 inches higher because of spin rate and now you don't you have no idea so that is what is so impossible to continually to, to defend against and because hitters have been stripped of their ability to create repetition and patterns to the point where they're, they're, they're swinging for their lives, like literally. And, and I think the pitchers will continue to have this advantage until something changes. Yeah. All right. Now, here's an important question. Is this a scandal? Uh, I'll tell you one reason that I asked this, because um, a friend of mine who's not in baseball read the JT Riomuto quotes in your story and said to me, is this true? And I said, well, let's just say this. He's not wrong. Okay. And so this guy said, oh, my God, I can't believe there's another cheating scandal in baseball. And just the way he worded it really struck me. Uh, is it a cheating scandal like the Astros? Is it a cheating scandal like McGuire and Sosa? Um like, what is this? People don't seem as outraged about it as they were about those other cheating scandals. Ken, what do you think? Well, there are degrees in everything, right? And this is different than the Astros, which was different than the steroid era. But the analogy to the steroid era, while not perfect, because, of course, pitchers and hitters benefited in the steroid era, I believe that there is some parallel there. And when you're seeing this widespread use of these substances and when you're seeing the game affected in a meaningful way i know it's not the only factor and steroids were not the only factor but they're a factor the substances are and i would equate it to some level or some degree with that era 
And the other aspect of it, and honestly, one reason I've been trying to stay on top of this and be diligent about it and be aggressive about it in combination with Brit this time, there are people who say, hey, man, you guys missed the steroid era. You guys blew it, meaning the sports writers, the baseball writers. And we did. And Jason, we've talked about this. We've all acknowledged it. We were slow to jump on that. And I don't ever want it to happen again. And actually, in this particular issue, it also—it almost already has happened where we've been slow on it. So it's time now to use our voices and our reporting skills to shed light on it and hopefully enact change or lead to change. Yeah, great point. Yeah, Britt, Doug, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Ken. I think it's something that has a lot more parallels to steroids because guys are – if you are not doing anything, if you are a pitcher and you're not putting anything on your hands, you're behind. We just saw it with the Trevor Bauer numbers. You are behind. You cannot keep pace. So how is it different from steroids for the guys who chose to not do it, didn't get the jobs, didn't get the big contracts, were behind everyone else? So to me, there are a lot of similarities. And also, as Ken mentioned, sports writers were slow to address this. The league was really slow to address steroids. And the league has known about this for years. As we said, Trevor Bauer, 2018, certainly before that as well. Um, so I think that, you know, the more you talk about this, the more outraged people get. Hopefully the quicker this becomes something that MLB deals with and says, this is a problem. This is, you know, not only angering half the players, this is alienating fan bases. People aren't sure if they can trust the product. I think... The same thing happened to me, Jason. I had friends that do not follow the sport that closely, saw you know my social media posts, and were like, wait, are more people cheating in baseball? <laughs> Is this going on? <laughs> so I, I agree with you. I think for the casual fan, and baseball has to worry about not just the fervent fan, but the casual fan as well, there's something to be said for um, a level playing field, for a fair product. And we all know, Doug, I'm sure, can talk about this, that – if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's what players always say, right? They're always <laughs> trying to get that edge. But you have to at least pretend that you are trying to make this a level playing field. And there is no pretending here. There is just turning of a blind eye to all of it. Well, and, here, and here's the challenge, too. Um, what's, uh, what I think is different is the, the level of depth you have to go to kind of explain it, right? Because we we're in our baseball ecosystem. But, you know, baseball is competing with these other sports. And this is a lot harder to explain versus like, I injected something in my arm. I am now the Incredible Hulk. And here's how I'm doing it. Right. I mean, that's easy. You know, I stole your signs. I literally used like a drone and took your sign. OK, we can get that. But this is this is more nuanced because. You know, although, yes, as a player, I, I totally understand the guy's throwing seven miles an hour faster and the ball's moving like a wiffle ball. Now I get it. But it's it's not it. It doesn't feel as nefarious in that. OK, I, well, you know, the, the player would say, look, I'm look, I'm not shooting things in my arm. I'm actually I'm just finding a better way to pitch. Yeah, OK, we shouldn't be putting substance on that. OK, they could work with that. But that, that's one of those like, OK, we could just remove the substance that it seems simpler to people like, oh, okay, we'll just remove the substance and not addressing the whole cultural phenomenon around it. So, um, and look, analytics, we've talked about it, you know, the UFC, whatever, all these cats, that, you know, the numbers game is such a driver to how the culture of a game in a, in a, 
in a time that's never been before. That's the difference between analytics is always part of the game, but it's real time now, right? It's right there, and players are taking that data, and this is how you game the system. You need more spin rate, that's more outs. Okay, I'm going to find spin rate. You need more, you know, you swing from your heels with two strikes, forget about avoiding the strikeout, then I'm going to do that. It's, it's real time. So I, I think the responsibility is the typical wink and nod like, hey, we're going to pay you $10 trillion if you hit 50 home runs. We don't really care how you do it, but, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, everybody gets into cahoots on this system. So that's, the, to me, the challenge with this. It, it's going to be tougher to explain, but I do think at its core it is, as Britt said, effectively the same thing. Yeah, except it's kind of the steroid era in reverse, you know. But we'll, we'll, we'll get back to this one because it's not going away. All right, why don't we do this for our next state of the game category? Um, you know, it's not really accurate to say nobody can hit because we've got some of the most charismatic young stars ever running around these days, and they can hit anything and anybody, it feels like. So here's what I would like to do. Let's all pick our favorite young star to watch. And there's no wrong answers in the quiz. It's a, we, we like it when there's no wrong answers. <laughs> Britt, I'm going to give you the first pick in this draft. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to go with Juan Soto, which is a little bit of recency bias. I did cover the Washington Nationals. I <laughs> did have the pleasure of watching Juan Soto. Uh, and I will say this, guys. Um, there might be flashier guys. There might be more defensive-minded guys. There might be faster guys. But pure hitter standpoint, watching Juan Soto, especially with two strikes, a young hitter who's almost better with two strikes than he is at any other point in the count, um, to me, just speaks volumes. And Jason, you've written before about the <laughs> comparison to Ted Williams, which is just crazy to, to think about. But then you look at the numbers, and it's not so crazy. So I'm going to go with Juan Soto. He hasn't had a regular Soto season. He's been slowed a little bit with a shoulder injury. He has, however, started to come back here. He's started to hit the ball to all fields. He's a guy who you look at that spray chart, and there's really no way to pitch to him. There's no way you're going to shift on him. He's just an absolute monster and just a, a pleasure to be around in the olden days when we could be around players. Um, so I'm going to go with Juan Soto. <laughs> yeah, that word crazy came up quite a bit after I wrote that piece. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Ken, who do you, got? who do you have on your giraffe board? Well, I'm going to give you a selection, but I want to make it clear that I love Brit's selection, and I'm quite confident that I will love your selection and Doug's selection. So it's not a case of choosing one over the other. I love all these guys, like my children. Now, my choice is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And the reason for that is a year ago, or actually last season, we weren't as sure about him as we thought we were going to be when he was one of the top prospects in the game, if not the top prospect. He was up around, I don't know, 260, 270, maybe 280. And there were questions. Can this guy handle playing in the field? Will he ever fulfill his potential? All of that. So what did he do? He spent the offseason losing the weight. And he's down to somewhere in the 240s. And he looks much better. He obviously feels much better. He's playing first base. As Caitlin McGrath wrote in a great story recently for us, quite athletically. More athletically than I don't know that I think we could have imagined last year at this time. And then, of course, 
he is right up there with the home run leaders in the sport. And he is just a breath of fresh air for a team that is a lot of fun to watch, even though they have been just decimated like many clubs by injuries. So I'm going to go with Vlad Jr. And Vlad Jr. has become the guy we thought he was going to be. And that's why I'm picking him. Wait, you didn't envision Vlad as Nuriev? <laughs> I did not. And that story by Caitlin, I yeah, encourage people tremendous. to read that. That was fascinating to me because I, I never even imagined doing a split. Doug probably could do a split. I can't do a split. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you. Fred no, probably no, could do a split. Many, many I'm married to a former cheerleader, but we don't do a lot of splits around the house. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, D- Doug, I'm going to pick last in this draft because I'm that kind of guy. Yes, Who is your favorite? Word. Well, I... I I choose Ronald Acuna Jr. And um, I think what really sells me on him is that it's the outs he makes. Okay, this is a guy that his hard hit rate and his expected numbers are actually more astronomical than his existing numbers. I mean, that's what's so scary about this guy, how hard he hits the ball consistently. There's, There's no limit. You don't see a ceiling on this player, this talent whether it's on the speed side, the defense side. I mean, there's everything he touches is at a level that could be higher. And and that's what's um, really compelling. Now, I think he has to take that enthusiasm, that energy, and apply it every day. And I think this season he's done a lot. of had some injuries. But, wow, just the ability to dominate every facet of the game is is impressive. And, and this is where the analytics of future numbers – sell me sell it to me because of the fact that he's hit so many balls hard to return to outs what he actually could be doing you know when he's still leading the league in home runs <laughs> so <laughs> so that's my story <laughs> all right so all you guys have picked and fernando tatis jr is still on the board he's for me board. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the greatest steal in any draft since michael jordan <laughs> of course i'm taking him uh he's a shortstop He's 22 years old. He's got nearly an 1,100 OPS this year. And he's a show. Like every minute of every game, I can't take my eyes off whatever he's doing now. Like how about that little dance move he does now before he goes around third base when he hits a home run? Who who, who does that? Nobody's ever done that. <laughs> like, it's amazing. Just the, the day-to-day, moment-to-moment, creativity of this player like i'm a huge fan not just of talent but of the ability to be innovative in the moment and he's the i think he's the greatest combination of talent and innovation in the whole sport and if you can if you can talk me off that you're welcome to it but that's my story and i'm sticking to it <laughs> okay. All right. So we're all in on that. What a what a draft. That was a, that was fun. Now, uh I would honestly match the watchability of those four players with let's just pick four young stars in the NBA. Uh Zion Williamson, Luka Doncic. I probably didn't say that quite right. Trey Young and I don't know, let's go Jason Tatum. Uh so I think the issue here is not about talent or watchability. The issue here is that the sport that our guys play doesn't give them the same opportunities to shine that the NBA does. So let me tell you one of the trends I've noticed. I'm writing about this trend this week in my What We Learned in May column. 
You know which statistical categories in the sport are trending downward? Pretty much anything that involves action, like singles, fewest singles per game ever, doubles. I still don't understand this, but we're going to have about 1,200 fewer doubles this year than two years ago, which was the last full season. How about double plays? The rate of grounding into double plays is the lowest since... 1968, when basically nobody was on base, right? It was the year of the pitcher. And stolen bases uh, were at a 50-year low uh, in the rate of stolen bases. So, Doug, you always see the big pictures, at, at big picture at times like this. What do you think is going on, and what should baseball do about it? Well, you know, you know we've been talking a lot about how the players – and the and the game shifts around the data, and and it's it's really a, a pressing reality that risk is not considered rewarded, right? It's it's something where you can now say, hey, if I steal third here with one out and I get caught, I just cost my team you know forty percent shift in the negative on my chance of the team scoring a run. So if I make it, it's only a twenty percent gain. Is it really worth it? And when you start turning everything into the, that, those equations, you start to say, I'm not going to do it at all. Like, I didn't think about that. And maybe, you know, the criticisms that we didn't. I mean, I had my, I'm like, okay, can I steal this base off this guy? He, tips, he tilts his cap when he's going home. I have these advantages. So that's my decision maker. It's a whole different game now. And, and so when you lose the risk, you realize that a lot of the minority reports of, of the game or what excite us about the game, right? It's it's Ozzie Smith hitting a home run off a of Tom Needenfuhrer. Like that's not supposed to happen, but it did. You know, <laughs> and you lose that that small percentage play that creates this world around you of the unlikely that excites you. It's sort of what our show is about, right? Um, and so, so I think that when you get, why do you get away from singles? Well, they're shifting the singles away. Why don't you steal a base? Because they're they're too risky given the reward that you could have by staying put. Why don't you choke up with two strikes? Because, well, what am I going to do? Slap a ball into the shift or hit a couple more singles like Jay Bruce said? Okay, fine. I hit 279 with 28 home runs or I hit 257 with 40 home runs. What do you want? Right? So, I mean, so until you get players away from that mentality, which is really hard when the data is in your face, I think you're just going to constantly hedge against risk. And, and unfortunately, what you lose when you hedge against risk is some of the soul of the game because that's what excites you about it, taking chances and making it work out in cases that you've never expected. Yeah, that's, that, that's so well said. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. 
post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, you know, it's up to baseball, I think, to restore the balance here. And so that, that brings me to a piece I wrote a week or so ago about how stolen bases in the big leagues are disappearing. But in a ball right now, they're up 75 percent. And why is that? Because baseball is experimenting with new rules in those leagues. In high A, the pitchers have to step off before they can throw to first or any base. So the old Andy Pettit balk move, that's done. And in low A, there's a quota now. Two throws to first, and you've used up your quota of pickoffs. Uh, even if you step off, that counts as one move. So like those leagues, they're a track meet. And with these two rules in effect, the rate of base dealing is basically three times what we are seeing in the big leagues now. And we haven't seen this amount of base dealing in the major leagues in over a century. So here, here's the question I posed, and I'd love to hear your reaction to it. How much base dealing do we really want to see? <laughs> At some point, does it get to be too much base dealing? Um, Ken, let, let's start with you. What do you think? First off, that story was great, Jason. And it really had me thinking after I read it. And what stayed with me most were Whit Merrifield's quotes about how these rules have just turned it into, okay, if you're fast, you can steal a base. When, as Doug knows, there's an art to stealing a base. I don't know that we want to lose that entirely. I do know we need more stolen bases. And while perhaps these rules in the two separate leagues kind of <laughs> jump started it to the point beyond maybe where we want to go, these are the kinds of ideas that the sport should be looking at. And yes, there's a balance. I don't know that you want to go as far as it has gone with these late leagues, as far as the percentages are concerned, but at the same time, you want some action and you want the art of the base steal to still be part of the game. And one of the problems I have with the game right now, it's all science and not enough art. And there is an art to base stealing as well that, needs to still be part of it. It shouldn't be, hey, I'm fast, I can steal. Because the best base stealers not only were fast, they had the instinct for it, they studied it, they understood the timing of it. It was amazing to watch. So I don't want to lose that either. I, I, I guess you're right, but I can tell you that the reaction I've gotten from people in our business and uh, fans and people even in the game was, they like this. OK, like not everybody who's involved in it likes it, but people think this would be fun. Britt, would you do you think this would be fun? I think it'd be fun for a minor league game. <laughs> but I'm wondering how I'm just imagining Jacob deGrom, right, who has enough trouble winning games when he's pitching. I'm just imagining <laughs> somebody getting on first base because of an error or something. And all of a sudden that guy's on third and deGrom, despite 
being DeGrom, finding another way, the Mets finding another way for that guy to lose. <laughs> I'm just imagining these scenarios where, a, like Ken said, a fast guy gets on base, or not even a fast guy. You pinch run with the fast guy, and all of a sudden it becomes that track meet late in games. I think there has to be a better way, whether it's making the bases a little bit bigger still so that they have less distance to travel. Um, just a minor tweak. This seems to me like turning the volume all the way up. Right. Instead of just yeah. playing with the radio, this is going from the radio off to the radio on max. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I like, uh, you know, when, when we had Theo on Starkville, uh, I really I asked him almost that exact question like, is wouldn't this be too much? And he he said he didn't think we would see that level of base dealing in the big leagues because the baseline in the minor leagues, the baseline in the Atlantic League, which did this two years ago, was much higher to begin with. But I'm not so sure he's right. So let's bring in Doug Glanville, base dealer in his day. (laughs) Yeah, like I've stolen an extra cookie for dessert, but that's as far as I go. Doug, if if these rules were in effect, would this be cool with you or would you be Whit Merrifield dashing water, cold water on this stuff? Well, you know, look, I I think... I mean, first of all, I would love the track meet. I mean, I remember playing on AstroTurf for the first time and saying, wait a minute, I could steal like 500 bases here. <laughs> so, you know, you had these environments that should celebrate speed. And I think, remember mentioning Theo Epstein, he mentioned that, oh, you know, we could just move the fences back 75 feet. That would completely change the sort of style of talent or the type of talent you would recruit. And, and, and so part of it, even learning from Theo Epstein in that interview was about working backwards. Like, what kind of game do you want? What do you want to value? And can you get to that balance point? And right now, yeah, it's, it's a little willy-nilly. Like, let's just, okay, let's open the floodgates. But maybe you have to settle in on something that creates the right mix to get something that's exciting with the stolen base. I'm timing out here for the, the garage. <laughs> so, okay, many garage this is Three tapings in. in a row for the garage. <laughs> Okay, three, two, one. Uh, so, you know, you have to, as I was saying, you, you, you back into this idea of what are you trying to most value and what creates the most energy and excitement to, to use all these skill sets. I think what's compelling about the minor league story is they had these skills already in them. And it almost feels like they're, they're like oppressed, right, of their abilities. I think that's, that's what's revealing. If you're a player, if it was me, for example, being in the Atlantic League, I'm thinking, wow, you know, I could do this, but I have all these limitations. It'd be great to just showcase that not only can I use my speed, but I can use it wisely and pick my spots. And there's an art form to that. Um, you know, you think about, so when I think of the reward, what you value concept, it's, it's the NFL going one day saying, you know what, we really don't want the game to come down to a field goal kicker. That's just not how we want to end the game. <laughs> they could make that decision and reemphasize something. All right, so so it's it's in your power, and I don't think it has to be complicated, and uh, and I know because I learned from Jimmy Pearsall and Sandy Alomar Sr. about the art of the stolen base and picking your spots. So my thing was efficiency and and being successful at it, but not stealing you know a hundred bases, but stealing thirty and making sure I didn't get caught. That's like kind of off the table in some ways because the gold chip that it seems that's placed on that base runner being on base and letting the guy hit the home run or, or the, you know, hit the extra base hit. Uh, so 
you know, it's points of emphasis. And I think it would be great to see more stolen bases. Does it need to be, you know, 15 a game? No, but it, it should be more than it is. And the talent's there to do that. Yeah, let me bring up another point that Theo made that nobody ever talks about, but it's huge. Um, like, why does everybody try to hit home runs now? Because you're not getting three singles in an inning off Jacob deGrom. Like, Britt's already uh, laid the groundwork <laughs> for, for that. Like, it's not happening. You can still find a way to lose, but you're not going to beat him with three singles. Um, so you might as well try to hit the ball in the air. But suppose you only need a walk. And then stealing second, maybe even stealing third is very doable. You only need one single in an inning. How would that change everything? How would it change the approach of hitters? How would it change the way pitchers try to control the running game and maybe get distracted and don't think about executing that pitch that they really need to make? Like There are benefits to all this base stealing. So I'll throw this out there to the group. If, okay, if not these rules, we want more base stealing. What do we need to do? I do like Britt's idea of the bigger bases. That is one that can certainly help. And the fake block move, I know that's kind of accelerated the, the situation. <laughs> in that <laughs> But that has some merit to me. And I'm not, again, sure how you balance all of this, but there are things that can be done. And I would start with the basics, see where that took me, and then maybe adjust again. I think of all the changes they're doing, I think the bases are the most likely to actually happen. Um, they're going to be safer. And if you're reducing the the distance between first and second base by, what is it, it's three inches, right? Because it's an inch and a half each way. Um, that, like, what's the harm in that? Well, I, that? That's as subtle as it gets. Let's do that. That that feels like genius to me. Yes. I don't know if that's the right word, but let, let, let's go with genius, okay? Genius. And <laughs> speaking of geniuses, Larger base. Britt, Ken, it's been awesome having you here. Always love it when you visit us here in Starkville. Be sure to pick up your free slice of pie from the Starkville Diner on your way out of town. Thanks so much. The only reason I do this. It's all about the pie. <laughs> Save some for me, Ken. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> Bye. So normally, this is where we would do listener trivia, but we are giving ourselves a little holiday present. No trivia questions to get wrong. This Doug is a foolproof way to avoid yet another <laughs> week of trivia embarrassment. And frankly, I'm a fan of that. Yeah, so it's, uh, <laughs> our streak will end just temporarily. Um, all of our championships are on hold. It's okay. Uh, we don't have any championships, <laughs> but whatever you say. Uh, don't worry, trivia will return next week. So store up your trivia stumpers. We'll be back open for business. But Doug, you know who was a source of some really fun trivia this past week? It was your friend and mine, Joe West. <laughs> Joe West made history last week. He has now umpired more games than any umpire in the history of baseball. Uh, I'll, I'll have some fun facts about Joe West in a minute. But Doug, you know Joe. You lived Joe West. Uh, he was umpiring in the big leagues before he got there. He was umpiring in the big leagues after you left. 
He's still doing it, Doug. So I want you to tell me, what was it like when Joe West was umpiring one of your games? Well, I tell you, it it evolved, you know. And at first, I had heard all the legend of Joe West before I met Joe West. And the teacher of that was Sean Dunstan. And he would kind of became the introduction to all these umpires. And I, I used to be so clueless about umpires in terms of who they were, their names. And it was almost a respect thing. I felt like I was compromising the integrity of it by like being too personal and like knowing them. So I, when I first signed in the minor leagues, played in the minor leagues, I called them Blue. Hey, Blue. Hey, Blue. And finally, I think it was... Uh, Andy Fletcher, some umpire who actually made the big leagues, said, hey, you know, we're more than blue. You can just call me, you know. So I kind of had to get past that wall of respect. And and so Joe West was one of those early names. And I remember my introduction to Joe West was running, sliding into second base safely, him calling a delayed safe call as he stared me down and said, who the heck are you, right? That was my, that was my rookie year, <laughs> So I was like, and I said, I don't know, but I hope you'll find out soon enough. That's, that's what I said. So that's a good answer. So he, was he amused by he that? Was, he was slightly amused. So I, you know, I, I didn't realize that he wasn't known for his smile. But um, but over the years, it, there was a, there's an intimidation to Joe West, and it's an intimidation that is part like he he might bite your head off. He actually knows more than you about ten times more than you'll ever know about the rules. There's also like I might eject you if you look at me wrong. So you had all those things. And I learned this by bunting one time and he was first base up, laid it down to third base. Now he, you know, this is why one of the reasons I hate the running lane, but we'll get to, we've already talked about that. And <laughs> yeah, the third there. baseman throws it across the diamond and, and I get called out. And I like, there's no way because my idea of interference was I didn't interfere physically with the throw. It didn't hit me. Of course, I learned later from the Joe West rule book that there's all these other complications involved in the rule has nothing to do with the ball hitting me, right? So when it comes to the running lane. So from that standpoint, I realized very quickly that although people could complain about Joe West and demeanor and all these things, he he knew the rules cold. And I respected that. And I think from that day forward, I, I saw him very differently. And I appreciated that he was in command of the game. And he had a, a he it was based on knowledge. It was without pride or prejudice, right? He just had his like that's it. And I know people will disagree who are listening about him like taking vendettas and all these things. But yes, he will check you if you step outside of the boundaries. And I I didn't really have a problem with it. And I know, you know, I know he's taken on people and people say oh it's not about them. But you know I respected umpires as people. And the thing about Joe West that I appreciated later in life after I started after I retired, was working for ESPN, I've written different articles supporting the umpires, just about how hard their job is and how when they brought in instant replay, I was amazed at how often they got the call right. It was in the high 90s. I mean, it was a very remarkable thing to see that they're right vast majority of the time. So I wrote about it and I expressed that all these people that complain about the bias and the umpires, the most biased people are us, right? We're the fans, uh, is us, I don't know, are, well, think about that, people is, you know, so the, the fans, the teams, like, of course, I'm the Phillies, of course, how, of course you're biased, so if anything, they're the ones that are the most neutral, so I always respected that, so Joe read one of these articles, and for the first time, I came to a, a game 
working and he pulled me into the umpire's room. Hey, I want to introduce you to my friend. I think it was Waylon Jennings. And he was chipper and he was <laughs> smiling. It was cool. It was just cool to see like Joe West in another way that he read that. And he actually showed that he cared about what people thought. He really did care and he just wanted oh, yeah. people to come to bat bat for him. So, you know, that so that's my relationship with Joe and generally umpires across the board. I know they have a hard job. I never got ejected from a game. I, I just respected that it was tough and that no matter whether they're, if they're doing a good job, they're invisible. If they're doing a bad job, everybody knows it and boos them at the stadium. I think that's a very tough equation to be successful and to do it for as long as anyone in the history of the game, that says a lot. And and whether they like them, doesn't like whatever, they they, res- they have to respect that. And um, and I think it's well-deserved. He's, he's a very good umpire and nobody knows the rule book better than Joe West. Yeah, okay, well... There's more to this, but but here's my little Joe West interaction. That probably the most memorable. Like I would see Joe a lot. I go to spring training in Florida. I go to a lot of games in Lakeland, Florida. He umpires every one of them in the Jerry Lane, right? So uh, you know we've had a lot of banter over the years, but never really had a long conversation about much of anything. So this is a few years back. I'm doing some kind of story, and I. I had an uh, a, like an umpiring question, and I didn't know how to get it answered. So I go to the 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 website of the umpires union. Is it the World Umpires Association? I think that's right. Okay, so um, there's no list of there's no contact information, right? There's no PR person. There's no direct executive director. <laughs> there's no phone number to call. There's nothing. There's just uh, if you need to contact us, you know, click on this link and email blah 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 at worldumpiresassociation.com or whatever the heck it was. So I thought, all right, I'll see what happens. <laughs> I send in my question via email. Twenty minutes later, the phone rings. It's Joe West. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Jason, you're trying to get in touch with me." I said, "No, necessarily. I'm just trying." I had a quick question for the head of the umpires association. He said, "Jason." I am the association. <laughs> and then we wound up talking for an hour. He didn't tell me anything, but we had a fun talk for an hour anyway. Uh, all right, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, I, I looked at Joe's complete list of ejections today, Doug. Uh, he, as you just mentioned, he did not eject you. <laughs> right. But if I, unless I read this right, it looks like you never played in a game in which Joe West ejected anybody. Could that be possible? You know what? All right. Here's what I thought about. I It's possible only because I might not have gotten in the game. But as I mentioned, Sean Dunstan kind of introduced me to how to engage Joe West. And I saw that he had kind of a friendship or a respect with him. And one time there was a call. Joe West was home plate. Um, Sean struck out looking. And he kind of dropped the bat. And he was clearly upset, but he did it more out of like frustration. It wasn't really directed at Joe. And he threw him out on the spot. And I remember <laughs> and I remember Sean going, come on, Joe, you you know me. You know I'm not going to show you. It was sort of that. And, and that was probably the one time I think Joe might have been like, yeah, Sean wouldn't do that to me. But it was kind of too late. He just sort of tossed him. And uh, so I knew like, okay, this don't mess with Joe West because I know Sean was saying that he has this relationship and he's already thrown out in like the third inning. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, so that was, um, so I think that may be true. So you think I might've been at the game, but not in the game. I, I don't know how the stats okay. work on that. So, that. so All right. So that's so, all right. So that, 
So that means that like you never saw one of those unforgettable Joe West moments where everybody in the park said, oh, Joe West is umpiring this game. Like, yeah. You know, the, the home run call in, in Houston in the playoffs a couple of years ago where like he pretty much injected himself into that action. Yeah, I mean, okay. like, there's, there's a lot of those moments, man. But nope. like we shouldn't, if we're going to talk about Joe, and I'll give you all the fun facts in a minute, but we can't overlook the fact that there were times where it just felt like Joe West wanted the world to know Joe West is umpiring today. Right. I mean, well, he's a certain strong, super strong personality. And he rejects the idea of, like, don't be seen, don't be heard kind of thing, or be just make, I'll say. make the call, right? I, I mean, I don't know. I guess I didn't, I never had a problem with that. I just didn't. Uh, I understand why people may and, um, you know, and yeah, fine, you're, you're going to call, a, let's say you're an umpire and it's the ninth inning and you want to go home and you call everything a strike. All right. I didn't really see that from Joe West about like, oh, I'm just cashing it in now. Like, that's the thing. And, you know, people say, oh, I just want an umpire who's consistent. I want, okay, well, there you, you have an umpire who's consistent. You have an umpire who knows the rule book. Right. Don't cross him. Fine. But like, here's my story. Did I ever get ejected by Joe West? And I played in 1100, whatever games. Like I never got ejected by Joe West. And, and so it's it's possible to have a relationship where out of a certain respect that you you can function without getting thrown out of a game uh but yeah did it when you talk trash about him in the paper and all that did he get mad and i don't know did he hold it against you people may say yes but i still think it was i, I felt like joe west was so smart with it that he could find a way in the rule book to legitimately turn something against you within the scope of the rules, if that's what he wanted to do. <laughs> so, like, I mean, that's the thing that oh, was, he could apply. he could apply it in any scenario and be like, okay, fine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check your hat. Okay, okay, I see you got pine tar up there. So what are you going to say? I'm coming after you? No, you have pine tar. You're breaking the rules. Goodbye. Right, I'm just saying, like, that's that that's to me what he would do if, if he's <laughs> if, if called to. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, so he, he did it again just last week. But before we get... Back to the Joe West controversy of the week. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a few of my favorite Joe West fun facts. All right, so it was game number 5,376 that broke the record set by Bill Clem. Not that this had held up for a while, Doug, but Bill Clem was born nine years after the Civil War. <laughs> He held this record for 80 years, and then Joe West came along and broke it. So, you know, Joe umpired for a long time. He appeared in more big league games than Derek Jeter and Ozzie Smith put together. Uh, been part of as many big league seasons as Cal Ripken Jr. and Bartolo Colon put together. Uh, I, I figured out the other day, the only man in history who was part of more games in the big leagues than Joe is Connie Mack. But like you could like Connie Mack was almost never on the field. So I think Joe West <laughs> was on the field for more big league games than anybody who ever lived. That's amazing. That's very cool. Okay? Like we just we're trying to celebrate that. But then the thing is with Joe, it can never stay peaceful and serene and uh, let's celebrate this guy for very long because, all right, let's see now. He broke that record on a Monday. Then along came Tuesday, and here's what happened. Joe West, 
was looking at something maybe on the glove of Gallegos. Mike Schultz coming back. And maybe it's the bill of his cap. And he throws out Schultz. Schultz leaving. Joe West broke the record yesterday for most games umpired. Now he's adding to his ejection total. Schultz is irate. So as you heard there, that was Joe West <laughs> ejecting uh, Mike Schilt, manager of the Cardinals. And I'll, I'll have some fun tidbits on that one too, Doug. But all right, let me ask you this. Uh, what do you think of Joe and his crew deciding they were appointed by themselves to suddenly start enforcing the rules against banned substances, which we were just talking about with Ken and Britt, uh, even though they gave absolutely no warning to anyone involved. I mean, you know, and I, like I said, I don't know what goes on in the sense of do people say, hey, heads up, we're going to start to you know, crack down on this. But, 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 but again, I think it goes back to, okay, check the rule book. Is it a rule or is it not a rule? If it is, that you can get, you're running that risk. And to our, to our conversation the other day, uh, to the conversation around the banned substances, you know that this could be a, the next frontier of a big problem in the game. So, yeah, I, I, I'm sure there's directives out there to say, hey, we need to start looking into this. So, yeah, once again, uh -huh. is the timing, uh, does it feel like it's arbitrary and all these things? Well, I mean, I'm just saying like the rule, I, I, I never figured I'd win very many debates <laughs> on Joe West and the rule book. And I'm pretty sure if we look into what's what's the rule that he cited, you know, 5.03 uh, yeah, CD. Oh, it's a rule. <laughs> like it, it's a rule that has been ignored for how many years yeah. since you played? They're right. Okay, so um, yeah, I, I have no problem with the rules being enforced. The issue I have is the issue Mike Schilt had, which is now you're going to start <laughs> enforcing this rule. Like in the middle of this game, like this game with with this guy, like it doesn't work this way. You know, just just all of a sudden, the side one pitcher comes in the game. Now we're enforcing this rule that we've been ignoring with a hundred pitchers more than that for for thirty years. So that's that's the yeah, problem. Well, if he's but, if he's not consistent, then yeah, I mean, I understand that. I just I'm curious to see if this is a turning point. And we'll find out, but I do. Yeah. I think. That, I think. Yeah, we But are. I think it has to be a turning point. That's what I think is interesting. Like, okay, he enforced something that seems arbitrary right now, but then now, if all of a sudden <laughs> all the umpires are like getting together and saying, "Hey, be on the heads up! Stop putting time tar in your hat." I'm a hitter. I'm saying, like, what? You know, what? Come on, you could see the black on their hat. It's like, come on. So you could see it thirty years ago. Right. You could see all right, it. Right. Like, so all right. Okay, uh, when this happens, we'll have a whole special show about it. <laughs> like, when this thing happened, uh, here's that thing that went off in my brain, which is obviously off kilter. Okay, so everybody all week was all excited about Joe West and Bill Clem. I was too. But then, when this happened, I thought, time to go in a different direction. So, here's what I did. I decided in my Weird and Wild column to stage the heavyweight ejection championship of the world. Joe West, umpire champion versus Bobby Cox, manager champion. Oh, uh, Joe, 194 ejections. Uh, Bobby, 165 ejections, but in 800 fewer games. Ooh. So I, I, I did the math. Here's how it turned out. Joe West, one ejection 
every 27.7 games. Bobby Cox, one ejection every 27.3 games. How exciting is this, Doug? Do we have the stats, Uh, like wingspan and um, what do we have? (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that I I did today, because you asked me to, was I did look up to see how many times Joe ejected Bobby. And it turned out, according to RetroSheet, 12 times. That's a lot. 12 times. It feels like a lot. I, I mean, it's probably a little higher than the rate at which Joe ejected other people, but Bobby Bobby was good at it. You know, I, I told Mark DeRosa today, like, Bobby knew when it was time to get ejected. Joe knew just how to accomplish <laughs> He sure did. <laughs> but anyway, love him or hate him, Joe West just set a record that I guarantee is more unbreakable than Cal Ripken's. Nobody's breaking that one. Not. All right, that's going to do it for another fun edition of Starkville. You can find us every Tuesday right here in our new home as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. So every Monday, you get Ken Rosenthal's mailbag. That's must listen. On Thursday, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Hunter's Hunter's taken the podcast thing to places it's never gone. I think that's safe to say. (laughs) Friday, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. That, that this is they they cover a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay, just, we'll describe it that way. Uh, all these shows are fantastic. Please check them out. Uh, the Athletic Baseball Show also available in its entirety, absolutely free everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to give us one of those five-star ratings if you like what you hear. Uh, We're also available absolutely ad-free at The Athletic app, where if you would like to read our work or any of the tremendous writing on our site, on Javi Baez, on Joe West, or on your favorite team or your favorite sport, there's no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you'd like to subscribe, we've got a fantastic special going just $1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. Check out that one. Also remember that you too can be part of this podcast. Next week, we'll get back to once again, inviting the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here and prove once again, there is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. To do that, you can email us a question at starkville at theathletic.com or what most people do is just fire these questions at us on Twitter. How would someone fire a question at, say, Doug Glanville? Oh, yeah. At Doug Glanville. At D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Pretty easy. That is pretty easy, yeah. And you can find me at Jason S-T. That's at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T, since we're spelling today. <laughs> and remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Ken Rosenthal and Brittany Giroli for visiting us. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. And Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.